How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. I've known Travis for a little bit, obviously being in Cleveland, and he knew the guys of a driveline, and so it's kind of like this. We never really worked directly together, but there's been this kind of like interweaving of like the circles that we run in. I guess the, the idea actually floated to driveline first. Travis floated it to driveline, and then Kyle at driveline, you know, was like, hey, this I think this would be a really cool opportunity. Like, would you be willing to work with him? He's a good guy, whatever. I'm like, yeah, it sounds really cool. Sounds fun. And so, yeah, I mean, that was a, basically a, a year-long we talked about it in spring training last year, and it was kind of a year-long like progression and, and discussion of of all the different stuff. Uh, I think it turned out really well. The premier baseball show in Chicago, Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel. You are locked and loaded on a Sunday morning with Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score, the score's venerable baseball show. I am indeed Matt Spiegel. Enjoying, as always, uh, my uh, Sunday morning opportunity to talk baseball in this two-team town. We have lineups for both the Cubs and the White Sox. We'll get to a little bit later in the hour. Um, I just tweeted the news, and I want to share this real quick before we bring in Travis Sawchick. Um, And I know Rick Hahn, I think, is going to speak on this shortly, but I had heard from a couple sources that White Sox players were uh, given the opportunity to be vaccinated on Thursday and a very large percentage of the traveling party took advantage of it. Some players, in fact, were able to convince initially unwilling players to do so and get vaccinated for the good of the team. So um, good on the White Sox, a good example for MLB. Uh, And the White Sox will probably now benefit on the road from the loosened COVID protocols that will allow them to be mm, a little more adventurous on the road, perhaps, is the word. But anyway, just tweeted that, and Rick Hahn will speak on that in a little bit. We will roll tape on Rick Hahn and bring you anything pertinent a little bit later in the hour. But I've been looking forward to talking to this guy very much. He is Travis Sawchick. Um, You may read him at thescore.com. That's not us. It's an entirely different place. You may have read Big Data Baseball. You may have read The MVP Machine. And if you haven't, go read it now. And Travis right now joins us on the Alpamonte Nissan hotline, Alpamonte Nissan in Melrose Park on North Avenue or apnissan.com. Hello, Travis. Good morning. Thanks for the time. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So we heard Trevor Bauer there talking about the MVP machine. Some of my favorite parts of that book that you and Ben Lindbergh wrote were the Trevor Bauer stuff, how he urged the Indians to get the Edgertronic camera and how he learned or stole, um, it's learned, from Marcus Stroman's slider, you know? Um, Just so instructive about pitchers, taking control of their own 
business and, and, and their own development. And I think, you know, Bauer's a complicated guy, but don't you think part of his legacy is going to be, you know, um, helping pitchers realize that they need to be the ones in charge of their own development and their own career in that way? I think we just uh, might have lost Travis. It's entirely possible. So, um, uh, Sean Anderson will check with him. Boy, I, I felt so good about the question. Really did. Hey, can we just, we'll just package that and I'll, uh, I'll replay that uh, only, uh, you know, just a little bit later. That's uh, no big deal. Um, so anyway, the MVP machine um, by Travis and by Ben Lindbergh is a really terrific read on just the state of analytics, the state of development, really. It's not even about analytics. It's about player development. And how you can, as as an organization, make your pitchers better, make your hitters better, and uh, and and really really work on stuff to uh, to improve your team. And you don't have to just wait for guys to evolve in terms of their own humanity. Texters getting in at three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven on a wide array of topics, and tweeters getting at me at Matt Spiegel six seventy. And um, Rick Hahn said 90% of the traveling party was inoculated post-game Thursday. That is Rick Hahn speaking on that right now. And just indeed got there. Uh, Sean, can you hear me, babe? Yes, babe. Trying to dial up Travis, babe. I don't know what's going on. Okay, cool. Well, we'll get there, indeed. Uh, in, in the meantime... Good that um that uh that Rick Hahn is getting in there and getting that done. And now their official release is here. The White Sox thank the city of Chicago, the Chicago Department of Public Health, and our partners at Rush University Medical Center for providing optional Johnson and Johnson vaccinations for our coaches, players, and clubhouse staff following Thursday's home opener. And the picture is of Giolito and Tim Anderson holding up their vaccination sheets. Uh, we were able to vaccinate virtually the entire traveling party. We're grateful that by being vaccinated, so I can contribute to stopping the spread of COVID-19 in our community and look forward to collaborating with the city on the multi-sport, multi-team vaccination advocacy campaign. Um, so good stuff. Look, I, I know the vaccine has issues scientifically. You may need to get a booster shot. Yes, you may need to get uh, another shot next year. But this is the way out. This is the scientific way out and the way to get back to more than 25% of the ballpark. You guys been to a game yet? Sox fans, if you've been to the home opener, you were loud. You were present. Good for you. Uh, I made it to a couple of Cubs games, one in the stands. It was special. It, it felt wonderful. But... It's not fully baseball season until I'm high-fiving strangers in the stands. And I'm not going to get there until more of us get vaccinated and the percentages go up. So good on the White Sox. We can now go back to the hotline where Travis Sawchick uh, rejoins us here on Hit and Run. Travis, thanks for the time. Was asking you about Trevor Bauer um, and about how part of the legacy of Bauer, I know he's a complicated dude, but part of his legacy is going to be it, it, you know, in large part, thanks to the MVP machine and, and some other stuff about how pitchers have to take control of their own careers and be their own CEOs in terms of development and more. And that is a healthy thing for the game overall. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, no one was he brought the high speed camera into the game. And I think he and Driveline are largely responsible for marrying that with uh, you know spin tracking technology and kind of creating this 
Rosetta Stone for pitch design and pitch development. And that over the last few years, we've seen that spread throughout the game at a rapid pace. And you know, I would argue player development has changed more in the last three years on the pitching side than it probably changed more in the previous four decades or something like that. So, and he is, uh, he's not the only one, but he is one of the most important uh, player trailblazers in that space. And, you know, some teams like, I know the Astros always be tainted by the, the sign, sign stealing scandal, but they did a ton in player development realm too. And, uh, but yeah, I think his legacy, he's a complicated person. I know everyone, he's a polarizing force, but he has made a huge difference in player development and we couldn't really write that story without him. So, uh, will be, uh, you know, it's important that he cooperate with us. You know, my perception of his relationship to the sticky stuff is, is is that he was upset people were using it and then did his famous spin rate experiment where it jumped for the inning and then just kind of joined in because everybody else um, was was in it too. And I don't necessarily begrudge him of that. We're, it's an interesting moment here where MLB is saying they want to police it what is your take on this latest bit of news where uh, they took balls from his starts? That can't be the only start that they took it from. It, 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 my guess is that it is a selective um, news leak and that there have been other balls from other games that have also been taken. But do you know that to be true? It's my understanding that other balls from other starts and you know, a variety of pitchers have been taken, but I think... <laughs> He's been made something of an example just because he's been so outspoken about it. And uh, you know, in 2018, when he had a very good season, he did not. He may have used it one start, but by and large, he did not use it. And I think he became frustrated that MLB. He spoke out about it. MLB did not police it. They did not police their rule book. So I think you know you can go. It's free to go look at the the spin rate data. And I think uh, you know a number of pitchers realize if it's not going to be policed. You know, they don't want to be at a competitive disadvantage versus their peers. So uh, just uh, looking at the data, I think that's what it suggests. And I I think a large percentage of pitchers use some sort of substance. And all you have to do is look at a game, look at how many guys are grabbing their bills of their caps or parts of their jersey or their glove, and <laughs> they're using stuff. And oddly, I think some batters actually welcome it because it's they're less likely to get hit with 95 in the ribs if pitchers have some more control of the ball. But uh, it is a huge performance edge. I mean, there's a strong correlation between swing and miss and spin. And uh, our the guys at driveline, they've experimented with this. And they believe the only way you really add spin is through velocity or through substance. So uh, this is a big performance effect. And you look at guys like Garrett Cole, who have had huge spin rate spikes in the performance that is gone up with that and uh you know uh, this is all available for baseball to look at but they decided not to police it or look at it until this year because i think they're just concerned with the lack of balls in play strikeout rates at 25 percent of plate appearances now which is astronomical uh so i think i think this is in part just to try to get balls in play and hopefully try to scare some guys into not using it so it's going to be really i think it's one of the most interesting storylines this year to see uh, how it's policed, if it's policed, does baseball have the willpower to, to really do it? Uh, I mean, it's going to be sort of like if they start citing pitchers, it, it'll be like getting speeding tickets off a, a camera, highway camera, and I don't think a lot of guys are going to be really happy with that. Uh, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, you know, I'd love to know where you, with, with the knowledge that you have, um, stand philosophically on the idea 
of potentially policing out some innovation from the game overall. I mean, I have a tremendous amount of respect, obviously, for Theo Epstein and the stuff that uh, the commissioner's office is trying to do. And I'm I'm for more balls in play. But so much of it is counterintuitive to scientific progress, isn't it? At the same time, I look at other sports and I see rules have changed in how you cover defensive backs. Rules have changed in zone defenses. Like, it's not uncommon for sports to do this. Um, Where are you spiritually and philosophically with uh, putting a lid on innovation, per se? (laughs) Yeah, I am very much against putting a a lid on innovation. I, I think it's perfectly fine if you want to try to enforce your rule book. Uh, and if, I think sports are always trying to make their games more fan friendly and more uh, increase their audience and that sort of thing. But uh, I mean, just aside the out of the spin rate stuff, I don't. Uh, this idea of limiting defensive shifts and uh, <laughs> trying to de-emphasize the home run through deadening the ball, or I don't know. I think players just keep getting better and skill levels keep getting better. This whole player development uh, revolution that's going on has accelerated that, but. Uh, I don't. I'm very torn because I think enforcing the rule book's one thing, but if you start really trying to warp the game uh, and take away the the innovative uh, incentives, I think that's that could be a net negative. So uh, I hope they're very careful, and I'd rather see them experiment at the minor league levels before they do something dramatic at the major league level. Uh, but on the flip side, you know, you can't have 33% strikeout rates in five years, something like that. So I think they're very aware of that as well. Uh, so it is, it's going to be fascinating to follow. There's uh, there's maybe nothing in sports more difficult than hitting a baseball. And so the limitations are, you know, human capability in terms of vision and response time. Is there more that offensive theory and science can do though? Because the resources poured into pitching science and progress just dwarf what has gone into offensive innovation i what what is what is still available to do for offensive theory and science in terms of development uh i mean you're absolutely right that pitching's been ahead of hitting and i would argue it still is because it's a lot i mean just the nature of the game pitchers begin with the ball and then the off seasons now they can put the high-speed cameras on themselves and dictate pitch shape improve velocity so pitchers have been ahead they're still ahead as far as you know the development movement but I think there's a lot of stuff that can teams are experimenting with, players are experimenting with on the offensive side and uh, trying to develop better zone discipline. Uh, you know, looking at, I mean, they're getting feedback from KVS and other things to see how to improve the biomechanics of a swing and how to optimize exit velocity and launch angle and all that sort of thing. And uh, even speaking with Mitch Haniger a few years ago, he was looking at the spin of his uh, of his hits because, like in golf, uh, golfers want optimum spin, not just launch angle. And there's a sweet spot of spin rate that that produces the best drive distance. And I know guys like Haniger, and I know some other outside hitting instructors have looked at this too, where they're trying to improve the spin rate of bad balls. So hitters are starting to drill down into this, and they're starting to catch up. But I think just the nature of the game. And it's a little easier to implement improvement off the pitching side is uh, has per- pitchers ahead right now. But uh, yeah, there's everyone, everyone on the hitting side is trying to play catch up. And I, you know, I think, uh, you know, 
I mean, to hitters' credit, what they can do today against this record high velocity is pretty impressive. And uh, the home run, I don't think we give hitters enough credit for the home run surge. I think too many people just want to say it's the ball, but uh, a lot of hitters have come on with it too. So I don't want to suggest that uh, there hasn't been a lot of improvement on the hitting side. But, yeah, to your overall point, pitchers have been ahead. I think just the nature of the game, the technology has helped them have this edge in the this player development revolution, as I would call it. Yeah. I um I, I I'm curious what 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 you think about um you know the big data baseball is is a really cool book about the pirates emerging from 20 losing seasons to become a a really impressive winning franchise in 2013 and, and thereabouts it didn't last um, and now they've chosen to regress on the big league level um at this point but I'm wondering what we've learned about how to sustain things on a budget as the Tampa Bay Rays have as the A's have to some extent, uh, some extent, while the others, like the Pirates, have not. What what do we now know about how an organization can sustain things on a budget, and 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 what's instructive about, say, what the Rays have done? Yeah, it is. I think one thing we've learned is that advantages can dry up very quickly uh, in this A. I mean, you look at those Pirates teams that when ended that playoff drought and went to three straight playoffs made three straight playoff appearances. And then a few a few years later, everyone has been fired from the front office. Flynn Hurdle's gone. Uh, so it's, it's amazing how quickly the game changes. And what the pirate, the Pirates run kind of coincided with the beginning of StackCast and understanding more of the physics of baseball. And I would argue the Moneyball movement was about taking advantage of economic theory and those sorts of inefficiencies in the game. The Stackcast era, this player development revolution, is about understanding physics and taking care of mastering the physics of the game. That's where we are now. Uh, but yeah, to your overall point, I think advantages dry up quickly. Uh, I think one thing that might be a little different in this era than uh, is that a lot of development things happen behind closed doors. Not we're not seeing everything play out in the fishbowl that is Major League Baseball every night. So if you can develop a better training regimen or a better way to communicate at the minor league development levels that can stay a little more hidden for a little while, but you know, eventually those will dry up too. So I think, uh, and of course the big boys like the Yankees are hiring Tanner Swanson from the twins who innovated some improvements in how to teach, uh, catchers how to receive and steal strikes, better pitch framing. We saw with Mitch Garber and other guys in the twins organization, Yankees hired Matt Blake out of the in. The Indians are a great example because they've had this great pitching development success story, but Derek Falvey gets hired to run the Twins. Blake is with the Yankees. I mean, that advantage is going to dry up too. So uh, I think, yeah, how do you communicate as an organization? Are you curious and asking good questions? Those things can maybe have longer shelf life and lead to discovering more innovations and staying ahead of the curve. But it is a challenge for, I think what the Rays have done is just absolutely phenomenal. They've kept this going a long time now. Uh, it's tough. It's a competitive landscape. Biggest budget teams are as creative as the smaller budget teams now. So it is it is really tough. It's a great challenge. All right, a couple of quickies before we let you go, Travis, and tend to that very young person who I assume is yours. Um, hey, it, yeah, I'm so sorry about that. No, it's good, man. You know, a 60-degree, uh, I'm here off the shores of Lake Erie, and as you know, as a Great Lakes person, the 60-degree day, 60 degree day in April is like a nice June day sometimes, so I'm trying to yeah. 
that. Yeah, just just you, you take it and enjoy it for all it's worth. Uh, absolutely, it, it's only a pleasure on a Sunday morning to hear more family uh, on the airways. Um, your your favorite metric for comparing starting pitchers, as we in this town will be examining you, Darvish and Zach Davies among others, and trying to compare them during the course of the year. What, what would you look at? Do you look at FIP? Do you look at XFIP? What would you look at for shorthand? Uh, I mean, yeah, FIP is, FIP is a good one. Uh, I think if you just really want to drill down the skill set, uh, K rate minus walk rate is so telling of, I think, what pitchers control off the mound to a large extent. And, uh, hmm. yeah, there's some interesting new metrics. Like, I know, you know, Sarah's the athletic likes to use uh, command plus, which kind of adjusts. It's not just about walk rate. It's about intent of location and could a pitcher hit that and, that Davies really scores highly. I mean, he's one of the elite control guys. I know uh, he got beat up a little bit in his last start, but I think he's he can have a sneaky good season as he as he really did a year ago. As he leans more on he leans more on that really good changeup. Uh, so yeah, I mean Sierra. There's a lot of ERA minus. There's a lot of good metrics that try to adjust for run and ballpark environment and uh, can be good shorthands. But I like to start just with K minus walk rate because I think that speaks to command ability to miss bats. And, you know, the elite, the elite of the elite usually rank very highly in that. All right. Good stuff. Um, your favorite metric for comparing hitters of different strikes. <laughs> it's tricky. It's tricky. these days. Uh, Yeah, that's a good one. Right. Because even because even mean, W because I, to... I love WRC, you know, plus. But even even that obviously favors sluggers more than than others. <laughs> yeah, I start I often start there. Uh I mean, oftentimes if I'm drilling down in research, I'm looking at, and this isn't a single stat, but I'm looking at zone discipline. Who controls the strike zone the best? Hmm. Who has the best, you know, barrel rate, exit velocity? I think those are kind of just the, the pillars of being a good hitter. Can you control the strike zone? Can you hit the pitch you want to hit? And can you crush it? Uh, so those are some things. And with the StatCast era, you know, all this data, we have a better understanding of underlying skill sets and uh, that sort of thing. So I do try to look at that. Too, but yeah, if I'm just looking for one metric, I'm usually starting at uh, weighted runs created plus, as you mentioned, because that just for ballpark environment, league environment, and uh, I think it's a good catch-all to just measure guys. You can compare someone in Coors Field to someone playing in, uh, you know, in Miami, and have an understanding of what their true talent level is. I, I do love the the zone control though and the barrel stuff because that that's the quantifiable scouting stuff. That's the old school scouting stuff that we're just looking to quantify. It's not you know that's so it's right. it, it's very sensible. All right, and last thing, the soft human factor you personally give the most credence to as as you watch baseball is it is it heart? <laughs> is it confidence? Is it chemistry? What's what's a factor you actually give some credence to? Yeah, I mean, I think. It would be great if we had a confidence score for, for every guy. I think it has. I think that feel a guy has going out to the mound or being in the batter's box that day has to have a huge. We don't know it, but it has to have a big effect. And uh, I think one of the soft traits. If I was a scout today, I'd want to know just kind of that grit factor in training. Who's really willing to uh, pour themselves into their craft? Because I know that differs. And I think in this era of technology. And all these tools available, those players who are most curious, most willing to work hard and pour themselves into it, they're the ones who can lift that ceiling and they can go from a 50 power grade to a 60 power grade on the scouting scale. And I think, uh, you know, if I was a scout, I'd really want to, that baseball makeup grade seems more important than ever to, uh, 
to get more out of guys because that's what this era is all about. Everyone has this present day skill set. Well, now you can lift your ceiling and your future grades more than ever before with all, all the new ideas and new tools available. So give me the guys who are the baseball rats. I think that is more important than ever. And it's always been important, but uh, I, I would really value those guys. Good stuff. Travis, a pleasure. Thanks for connecting. Enjoy your, your 60 degrees and your lake and your, your very young person. And uh, we'll do it yeah, down the road. I was hoping the background noise would be a little low. I'm sorry about that. But uh, no. we made it. <laughs> <laughs> and all, all it did it was, was add flavor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Travis, thank you. That's Travis Sachik, right? All it did was add flavor, people. You hear what somebody's actually doing uh, on a Sunday morning. It's hit and run. On 670, the score. Um, all right. Let's let's examine the lineups that we have. If you want to call or text and talk about the lineups for the games as they cross, let's do that. I've got about another hour with you, and that's all. So i got to squeeze a lot in, and we'll follow up on uh, what the White Sox have told us from a public uh, perspective in terms of vaccinations as well. Keep it right here on Hit and Run on the score. That Davies really scores high level. I mean, he's one of the elite control guys. I know... Uh, he got beat up a little bit in his last start, but I think he's he can have a sneaky good season as he as he really did a year ago as he leans more on. That's Travis Sawchick from The Score and the author of a couple of really cool baseball books um, telling me that Zach Davies could be sneaky good. So we'll add that. The downside of my Zach Davies excitement is his performance last night. The plus side is that Travis Sawchick just gave me a sneaky in there. It's 670 The Score, 312-644-6767 if you want to hop on in. The phone lines are open for you. If you'd like, um, here are the lineups that we've gotten for both clubs today. Let's start with the Cubs, who have the Pirates uh, pregame starting in about one hour right here on 670. The score, Trevor Williams is the pitcher going against JT Brubaker of the Pirates, who has started very few games in his career, but a few of them against the Cubs. Ian Happ back in there will lead off and play center. Wilson Contreras will catch in its second. Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Jock Peterson will hit fifth and play left. Javi Baez hits sixth. Jason Hayward hits seventh. Eric Sogard is in there um, batting eighth and playing second base. And there's Trevor Williams with a second chance to show that he has evolved and changed uh, in his uh, Cubs tenure as opposed to his last two very bad years in Pittsburgh. We'll talk about him a little bit later in that 11 o'clock hour as we lead up to pregame because Trevor's made some very detailed and specific changes which have already shown themselves and I look forward to watching him today. I'll be on Twitter for that game um, and for uh, some of the White Sox game as well. Looking forward to tweeting through baseball with you guys today at Matt Spiegel 670. I don't get a chance to do it a lot uh, these days with a family as it is, but I'm looking forward to doing it today. Um, So I love when the family's not around. Is what I mean. <sighs> Not really. And then here's your White Sox lineup going against the Royals and the lefty Mike Miner. Oh, lefty, he said. White Sox kill lefties. Yes, they do. But no Elo Jimenez and, of course, no Tim Anderson here for a little while. So uh, hopefully we'll still uh, be a White Sox offensive opportunity. Leori Garcia leads off and plays right field. There's no Adam Eaton. Okay. Leori Garcia is playing right field and leading off. Miss you, Adam Engel. 
Luis Robert is hitting second and playing center. Jose Abreu at first. There's a real interesting nugget here later on in the lineup. We'll get there. Juan Moncada will bat fourth and play third. Your mean Mercedes will not be sat. He should not be against the lefty, really against anybody right now, until he shows you that he could use a day off. Don't give him one. Your mean Mercedes is your DH, and it's fifth. Andrew Vaughn in the lineup playing left field and batting sixth. Zach Collins is the catcher against a lefty, even though Zach hits lefty, after two days off. So it's not as if Yasmani Grandal needs a day off for the body. Why is Zach Collins in there? We'll get to that in a second. Nick Madrigal hits eighth and plays second, and Danny Mendick plays short and hits ninth. Zach Collins is in there because Dylan Cease likes to throw to him a lot. And apparently that was the plan going into the weekend was Cease gets Collins and Grandal gets Rodon. Now Rodon won't go until the next series, which is Cleveland. And Grandal uh, apparently will catch the bulk of the games against Cleveland. Is it worth it to have the personal catcher in there for Dylan Cease? Yeah, it is. If Zach Collins is that important to Dylan Cease, as long as it manifests in better control for Dylan Cease. Now, remember, they go back. That, that wonderful video that the White Sox put out that I, of Ethan Katz working with Dylan Cease on that drill where they had the ropes set up below and above the strike zone and Cease was making adjustments but keeping the ball in that strike zone, Zach Collins was catching him. And as Zach Collins walks out to talk after the the drill with Katz and Cease, Collins can be heard saying, that's the Cease I know from 18, meaning 2018. So, look, they got a thing. It goes back to the best moments of the professional life of Zach, uh, of Dylan Cease so far in the minors in 2018. And this is a hugely important year, big important start for Dylan Cease. I got no problem with Zach Collins being in there, even if it weakens you offensively for the first three at-bats of the thing. You can put in Grandal after Cease is gone if you want. Uh, although by then, you're probably into the heavily right-handed bullpen of the Royals, and maybe it's good to have Collins in there. You'll see some shuffling. Maybe you'll see Grandal um, come in for Mercedes, and Mercedes or come in for Vaughn. Probably come in for Vaughn, since Tony La Russa doesn't seem to be a big believer in Andrew Vaughn. Not, not just yet. It's early. But yeah, Tony... Tony uh, said that Andrew Vaughn is not part of the core. Remember that? Tony, uh, earlier in the week, talking about that. He's, not a, he's just not a big believer just yet. It's created some awkwardness for Andrew Vaughn. It's difficult to progress as a hitter. Very difficult to progress as a hitter when you don't get a chance to really be in there that much. And Andrew Vaughn, I'm afraid, is one of those guys who needs to be in there with consistency. Um, And I didn't necessarily even know this about him in the spring. But he needs to be in there um, just personality-wise. This is Tim Anderson from the other day talking about Andrew Vaughn. A big fan of Andrew Vaughn's approach. Big fan of him at the plate. This before the home opener 
And listen to this from T.A., especially as he talks about the personality a little bit. He's he's coming out of shell. Um, and once he gets going, for sure, he's definitely he's definitely unstoppable. Um, you know, probably one of the best hitters around um, as well um, at, at such a young age. And as such, you know, it's not not uh, much big league experience, but, you know, he's definitely he definitely can swing it. Um, so I'm excited to watch him. And, um, you know, they're going to be just fine. They're going to keep pushing and we're going to stay on stay on them as well. And, you know, keep feeding them, um, you know, work to to learn and, uh, you know, keep giving them homework to be successful. Interesting. So there's Tim Anderson. Uh, once he settles down and has some fun, he'll be fine. Once he gets going, he's got to come out of his shell, that kind of stuff. Yeah, Andrew Vaughn, he's a very serious guy, right? Looks like a serious guy. It's like a guy who puts a little pressure on himself, has always performed very, very well at every step and stage of his baseball life and career, um, but does put a lot of pressure on himself, takes it very, very seriously. And that's T.A., of course, is the model of relaxation, talking about how Andrew Vaughn needs to relax. Tough to relax when every start feels like an audition. So that, that is my, my newfound personal concern for Andrew Vaughn, having gotten to know him a little bit. Um, and, and I don't mean personally, but just gotten to know him as his teammates talk about him, as others talk about him, as uh, beat guys who are a little closer tell me some stuff. Um, th- did you see when he made the great catch going back against the wall, very good catch going against the wall um, in Seattle, the terror in Andrew Vaughn's eyes as he backed up with both hands extended and made that catch falling back against the wall. I mean, granted, that's a, that's a position he's never played. <laughs> and now all of a sudden he is. But man, that dude takes it very seriously. I just hope he will be able to relax when every start does indeed feel like an audition. In terms of that lineup, by the way, and you got to understand this is, this is the problem, the good problem, of your mean Mercedes forcing his way into the lineup at DH. That means Vaughn has to play uh, left, and your mean doesn't have another position where he can go. Vaughn doesn't have another position where he can go. Abreu doesn't have another position where he can go other than first. So there's no place for Grandal to be. Has Yasmani Grandal ever had an inning in left field? Find myself curious about that. I know he's played first, obviously. I don't know if he's ever played in left. <sighs> but everybody's everybody can play left. You play left, and you play left. Hey, Jake Lamb, you could play left sometime. Why is he on the roster? Andrew Vaughn could. You mean Mercedes could. I bet Sean Anderson is looking right now to see if Yasmani Grandal has ever played an inning in his life. I'm trying to, but Google will not load. Uh, how dare you, However, Google. I, I, I agree with you, and I, I think I'm coming around a little bit more on Collins catching Cease just because I am so high on Cease, and we saw that in spring training. And you look at last year when Grandal caught Cease, 506 ERA, 22 Ks, 16 walks, and a 113 OPS+. plus. When McCann caught him, 239 ERA, 22 Ks, 18 walks, and an 82 OPS+. plus. So hmm. it, it seems that there is a difference, and I always, I don't understand the idea of a personal catcher. I, I think, it, you know, it doesn't make sense to me, but it, it, you know, the numbers show that he was a different pitcher. Let's, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, as, as the year goes on, we'll get a chance to talk about it. Sometimes it's how a guy receives it's literally how he sets up what the target looks like and how he receives physically and gives you a little more confidence in your pitch. Sometimes it is a personal relationship and you as a young pitcher and then maybe eventually even as a veteran, you get to write your own ship. You need a certain amount of comfort up there. 
And look, you Darvish did not like throwing to Wilson Contreras. I used to talk about the unnecessary cat-like reflexes of Wilson Contreras. A little jumpy. He's much more quiet now. But still, last year, you Darvish was... He enjoyed himself some Victor Caratini. Very calm, very solid, very stable. For certain guys, if they're a little bit more sensitive to that. You know, so it, it, there can be a wide variety of things. And there's... There's nobody more important for the first six innings of your ball game than the starting pitcher. Also so, on Grandall, no appearances in his major or minor league career in left field. All at okay. for catcher first. Okay. That's it. Thank you very much. That's what I figured. That's pretty good. 17 strikes to two balls. As Jazz lifts one right field, and that might be too good of a strike. How about upper deck for Jazz Chisholm Jr.? It's one nothing Marlins. <laughs> Short, compact. Easy swing. Jazz Chisholm with the home run. Boy, that's fun, huh? That is uh, awfully fun. To say his name, it's Jazz Chisholm. That's right. And he's good. Oh, he's good. He, um... He's got a really pretty swing. That's a well-described short, compact swing. Awfully easy swing. When somebody is throwing that hard, you don't really need to uh, swing very hard. You don't. You, you don't really need to, um, to get going. Uh, it, it, just let that speed uh take uh take effect for you as you as you hit it back you really you really just have to let it do its thing and when jacob Degrom is throwing he has so many pitches over 98 and 99 he leads the world so far in really throwing very hard he's an amazing story in terms of his ability to continue adding velocity as he gets older and gets more more and more comfortable and more and more established. He's the best pitcher in baseball and has been for a while. But the lack of support that he gets from the Mets is, has reached legendarily hilarious status. Jacob deGrom has made 78 starts over his last four seasons. This from the ace of Spader, Ryan Spader on Twitter. In his wins, wins, 25 games, 1.11 ERA. In games that he did not get the win, 53 games, he has a 2.54 ERA. He has a personal record of 0-20 in terms of decisions in those 53 games that he has started. But again, he hasn't gotten a single win in those 53 games, but his ERA is 2.54, which is really, really good. The Mets as a whole are not winning the bulk of games that he has started. 78 starts over four seasons. The Mets are 36 and 42 in those games. It just doesn't make any sense except for that's baseball with the shrug emoji. That's just what it is. But that sample ought to be big enough that it doesn't make any, it doesn't work like that. But then there it is. So then all those soft factors start coming into play. Do the Mets bats somehow let up when he is going because they think they don't need to? No, it usually works the other way. 
Historically, I've, I've seen numbers many, many times throughout the decades where uh, ace pitchers get more run support. Oftentimes, the, the humans in those lineups on their teams relax and produce a little bit more. So uh, it just doesn't make any, any sense at all. Uh, before the break, when I was so rudely interrupted, I was in the middle of teasing something for you that I will tell you right now. Two men drafted in the first round of the 2006 MLB draft will face each other today. 2006 MLB draft. Who was it? In that first round, by the way, the Cubs took Tyler Colvin at number 13. That's how long ago we're talking about. The White Sox took Kyle McCullough at 29. I don't even remember the saga of Kyle McCullough. I, I, I don't remember. I'll admit that to you. 2006 MLB draft. The two guys who are pitching against each other today. No, it is not Luke Hochaver, who was number one overall by the Royals. And Tim Lincecum, who was number 10 overall by the Giants. Tim Lincecum was in that draft. Is it Brandon Morrill and Kyle Drabeck? <laughs> it, it, it is not. Aww. It is not those guys. From the first round of the MLB draft in 2006? No. It's Clayton Kershaw and Max Scherzer. Number seven and number 11 from that first round of the draft. That's crazy. Tim Lincecum feels like he's been out of baseball for a decade. Luke Hochaver is not in baseball. Tyler Colvin, I feel like my grandfather used to tell me stories about Tyler Colvin. Other active players from that MLB first round include Evan Longoria and Andrew Miller. Hell, Andrew Miller's life and career was supposed to be big-time starter, never got, never got there, never got good. When he was in Boston, rejuvenated, and they figured out a bullpen role for him, and now, now he's the old head of all these several-inning relievers that we talk about. Well, he can be a, their version of Andrew Miller, you know? Meanwhile, Kershaw and Scherzer, rolling. I felt good for Clayton Kershaw as he put on that outrageous and ridiculous World Series ring that the Dodgers awarded those guys. Did, you, did anybody see that thing? I was on the air at the time, but I watched some like highlight videos of some of the special moments. Our guy Bronson Arroyo, friend of the show, Bronson Arroyo, um, singing for Walker Bueller. Uh, Ichiro Suzuki uh, there. Who did Ichiro do that for? Was it Corey Seager? forget who Ichiro did they had like a different thing for the introduction of every single player it was crazy um Ken Griffey Jr. there on video there's a, there was a ton of different things every player had their own thing but here's here's the, the thing you you should you need to know that each ring came in a box and each player had the box on the field and as you opened the box there was a highlight that played on the inside of the lid of the box. I mean, it, just when you think you can't get any more ridiculous with World Series rings, they've got it now, where the ring itself is worth, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, of course, and the box itself somehow as a video highlight playing on the inside of the lid. Just disgusting. But kind of cool. It's hit and run on 670. The score, Matt Spiegel, is who you're with. Uh, we are done early, uh, about 1130 today, as uh, the Cubs will have pregame. Our Zach Zaidman coming in for pre and post. 
at 1130 uh, before and he'll get the fifth inning uh, before uh, Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer. Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer give you the game right around 12 o'clock. Texture says DJ LeMayhew and Tyler Colvin for Ian Stewart. Worst trade ever for Theo, but more, most score listeners would never know it. Yeah, they know. But remember, Theo and Jed Hoyer, yeah, that was a bad one. That was a real problem. And we're still talking about lineup diversification for the Cubs. We'll give you a little Cubs uh, and Craig Kimbrell conversation leading into Cubs pregame. And also hear from Rick Hahn, who spoke earlier in the day about the White Sox and the almost the entirety of the traveling party getting their vaccinations. You'll hear that next. It's hit and run on 670 The Score. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.